are you today? Hope you're having a great day and today I'm bringing you a brand new podcast episode. I've invited Marcus to be on the podcast and talk to us a little bit about his experience as a trans man who was very outspoken about the current ideology and the current popular opinion and so I'm very excited to bring you his story, his experiences and how the very inclusive and warm and welcoming community have treated him over the years and you know his experience and what he went through as well as discussing other topics such as children transitioning, young teens transitioning, the recent changes on the NHS website in the last two years, puberty blockers no longer being reversible and not knowing the neurological impact of puberty blockers and this general shift of wokeness. I really hope that we can carry on this conversation. I really hope that this is just part one because we were talking a lot and sharing a lot and I was definitely talking a lot. I think it would be very good for us to continue this conversation and make a part two at some point and I really hope I can do that. I hope that you enjoy. Please let me know what you down below and as usual I will see you for the outro. Okay perfect hi welcome welcome thank you so much for being on the podcast um would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah well thank you for having me my name is Marcus and I'm 23 years old from Denmark and I make videos on YouTube where I talk about um, gender ideology, and I have a different perspective on it because I am a transsexual, um, and I like to talk about mental health and who should go through certain treatments like a medical transition and who should not. I wanted to talk to you today because I feel like a lot of people are kind of going through this change of really turning the tide on wokeness and the popular opinion or at least that's what I'm seeing and then definitely that's something that I'm experiencing myself personally um, and I wanted to have you on as someone who's not only um, from this generation who's you know kind of in the middle of like the TikToks the social media and then also someone who is obviously in the trans community someone who has got that lived experience because oftentimes we're being told you know unless that's your experience you're not allowed to talk about it, you know, allowed to have an opinion on it. What do you think about that? Oh, I think it's stupid. Anyone can talk about anything. That's the point of freedom of speech. Um, and a lot of these trans activists, they're not even trans themselves. So by their own rhetoric, they should not even talk about it. And so I've checked out a few of your videos just to kind of get to know you a little bit. And I think that we are on the same page on a lot of stuff. Um, but you are very, one of the things that I've noticed is that you are very like non-PC. Like you just say exactly what you think. Like you are just out there and you are like, this is what I think. And I really value that. I think that's amazing because I think that we lack that nowadays. I think a lot of people are scared to speak up. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, um, I'm just tired of seeing the things we see in our culture today. So I I'm I'm using my transness, <laughs> my trans privilege to to say whatever I want, and usually I get away with it. But sometimes I, or a lot of times I also get a lot of hate for it. Uh, of course, I think that's only natural. I think that's just being on the internet anyway. But I want to um, give you kind of the stage for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your story, and you know how you got from um, your journey of you know realizing that you may or may not have gender dysphoria. How you found yourself here as you know a twenty-three year old. If you would like to take the stage and just let us know a little bit about yourself. Oh yeah, sure. So I always had a big lack of inner peace. And I remember growing up feeling that very strongly, but I never knew what it was. And I never knew about transsexualism. I, I don't think I've ever heard of it as a child. Um, 
so the only thing I've heard of is like drag queens and stuff. But but other than that, I I had a perfectly normal childhood, and I was just not feeling well mentally. But I didn't talk to anyone about it. I thought, well, well this is just life. <laughs> but um, when I got older, I started to dress more masculine, masculine, and feeling extremely uncomfortable shopping for new clothes uh, from the girls section. And I didn't know why. Um, and so, so what I, so my journey was, I thought I was a lesbian because I remember becoming a teenager, all the girls were talking about boys and like all their crushes and it made me feel uncomfortable. So what I did was doing this and, and then, well, then I thought, okay, well then I'm a lesbian and, um, it's fu it's funny because today I'm not even attracted to women anymore. I'm only attracted to biological men, and so so it it was a coping mechanism back then, which is really interesting to think about. Um, but yeah, uh, then years went by, and I was really miserable, and I had a feeling it has something it had something to do with my gender. Again, I didn't understand what, um, but then I saw this term trans guy and and then I was like I don't know if this is me but I can try to you know maybe it is the right thing for me so I'm just gonna identify I hate that word identify as that and then if it's not me I can always go back so in private I started to identify as trans and I realized this is me and and this is how I feel and um, I never look back so, um, so yeah, and then I, I was in the closet for over a year. Um, I, well, I didn't tell my family for over a year. Um, and when I did come out to my family, I just, uh, socially lived as Marcus. And I did that for a long time, a couple of years with no hormones, no surgeries, no legal changes and, and, and all that. And, uh, when I was 20, I started on testosterone and then for the last three years I've I've had some surgeries as well and so um you know at the beginning when you were saying that you just felt this like discomfort and something wasn't quite right did you get any um help in terms of like therapy or counseling or anything like that were any resources available to you no um I didn't I, I didn't speak um uh, I, I didn't say to my parents that I was not feeling well because I thought this is just the point of life this is the point of being a child and I didn't know that um, that everyone else didn't feel this way so um, I, I did go to therapy once for something else um, but we didn't talk about the, the gender stuff I think that's the tricky bit is that because we are only one person you feel like whatever's going on up there it's the same for everyone else um so it is quite hard to sometimes to be like hmm, maybe actually i need to go and speak to someone about this were you ever and do tell me if this is maybe intrusive were you ever actually diagnosed with gender dysphoria was that something that was um diagnosed by a professional so in denmark they don't diagnose they don't acknowledge gender dysphoria at all so i do have a diagnosis because that's i do have a diagnosis because it's in my papers, but they don't, um, let me think, they, they describe it as I was seeking help 
at the trans clinic because of gender identity. That's my diagnosis. It, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, but yeah. But I mean, that will just be down to international laws or, you know, the, the kind of cultural stuff. Um, but I'm assuming that obviously since you were an adult as well, um, right? You said you were 20 when you started uh, hormones, I believe. Um, and, you know, from there on. And what do you think about that? Do you think that that's the right age? Because I personally, you know, without making you feel like you're in some kind of trap or there's a right answer, um, I am horrified when I see people talking about children transitioning and teens transitioning um and i don't know how much you know because i'm from the uk well i'm originally from poland now living in the uk so in poland i have no idea what the laws are but based on what kind of country it is and kind of what the cultural vibe let's say was like when i left it wasn't the most accommodating the most kind of you know forward driven country so i doubt that at this moment, it, they are hugely progressive, but I could be wrong. But in the UK, I know that they were one of the um, kind of pioneers when it came to gender clinics um, and, you know, kind of letting people go on puberty blockers quite early on. Um, and that's actually now been reversing. I don't know if you've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's amazing. Yeah, I, ha I have heard of, of the things happening in the UK and I think it's necessary. And um, no, I think 20 was a good age for me, um, and I think for others, uh, I think also Blair White transitioned when she was 20, um, because I could have done it the, the day I turned 18, but I, I, I couldn't, like, I didn't feel ready. I didn't know that was the reason at the time, but it's like, I was so young, like 18, is, two days before I was a minor, I was 17, so I wasn't ready, and I wanted to be this new person I, I wanted like the foundation to be to be good, you know. I, I wanted Marcus to, to to be so much more than hormones and, and surgeries. Um so it it was really healthy. Even though I had a lot of dysphoria and it sucked, I'm so glad that I didn't rush into to the transition because now I'm done and I have like I'm only twenty three and I'm all done with what I wanna do, so I'm going to touch on the um, NHS and the UK clinics in just a second. Could you tell me a little bit, as someone who has never, you know, experienced gender dysphoria, but has, uh, first of all, been, you know, I was taught about it. Um, and, you know, we were trained how to recognize it. And if a client comes to me as a therapist, you know, this is what you are looking out for. This is what the symptoms are in children, things like that. But then, you know, this is where it was kind of very confusing to me because you go online and people talk about it almost as if it's anything. So they talk about, you know, I just didn't feel like I was supposed to, or I would, you know, my child's playing with dolls instead of with trucks. And it's like, that's to like, to these people, that's the sign that they are trans omitting the gender dysphoria. And actually I've seen one of your videos with, um, book angel and you were reacting to TikToks and someone called you a trans medicalist. Because he is trans medicalist. What's a trans medicalist? Someone who believes in biology, <laughs> which is so like is all that... people. <laughs> so is that like two. a bad thing? Is that... So you're right. I'm an actual trans medicalist. Same. Right. And that's when you believe that you have to have gender dysphoria. In, like diagnosed by a psychiatrist in order to complete treatment. Um, and it's so crazy to me that that is like a bad mm. thing 
to people to have an actual diagnosis before you start this life-altering, life-changing treatment. To me, it's logical that you need a diagnosis before you start any treatment, whether that be, you know, whether that be transitioning, whether that be gender dysphoria, whether that be diabetes, or whether that be, you know, anything, depression, anxiety, you need that diagnosis first, and then you go on to get the treatment. Yeah, and I would say gender dysphoria is kind of, it reminds me of depression, anxiety, stress, combined with something about your gender um, and sex. Um, it, it, it's, yeah, that's, I think that's the, the most precise way to describe it. It's related to depression, anxiety, and stress. Um, and I, what I've noticed since we hear about so many detransitioners is they have, a lot of detransitioners, most, have a reason to feel gender dysphoric, to, to, to feel gender dysphoric. So they were maybe sexually abused. Um, they maybe have homophobic uh, parents or families, um, or they were really involved in, in activist communities on online, like on TikTok, Tumblr, whatever. So they had a reason to feel gender dysphoria. They had a reason to transition. And my story and, and other transsexual stories are different. It's like, it's kind of the opposite. We have no reason to feel uncomfortable in our own skin. Um, and I think that shows how it's like innate. It's like a biological uh, condition, uh, uncontrollable condition where with detransitioners and all these fake trans people, I like to call them, it's culturally, it's like a social contagion. It's, it's a social thing. I, I see that. I, so you think that there might be some kind of link between how you were brought up and the environment that you were brought up in and then maybe feeling anxious feeling lost feeling you know all these kind of anxiety and depression and also a little bit maybe of confusion maybe even related to your sexuality because a lot of people who are you know gay or bi they say that they felt from quite a young age so maybe all of that is you know kind of put together and plus i think a lot of people are not looking at the fact that a lot of this is during puberty and puberty is such a chaotic time for any person, even if it's, you know, a, 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 how do they call it, a cis woman that is going to be straight, that is, has, you know, just kind of a straight line of development. That is such a confusing, anxiety-provoking, completely, you know, your, your hormones are completely upside down. Um, and so I think that for anyone, even for someone who's, you know, cis identifies as the gender, then goes to be heterosexual, that is... A very vulnerable time where you go on TikTok or you go on social media and you go, oh my God, I am feeling like those people too. Maybe I'm like that as well. And then if you put into that mix, you know, your parents are homophobic or maybe again, like you said, you have some kind of trauma and you don't have anyone to speak to, then this you can see how this can be a problem. You can see how this can be, you know, a case for a misdiagnosis or even for someone, unfortunately, to take advantage of, because I see a lot of these, um, well, I'm not going to say a lot, I see some of these people, especially on YouTube, who are like, I'm non-binary, my wife or like my partner is non-binary, and our two kids are trans. Hazel decided that they were non-binary when they were about four. They had been exploring uh, gender before that, you know, mm. d it trying on different pronouns. So you were born a girl, but you feel like a boy, right? That means, that kind of means you're transgender. That you were saying that you were raising him as gender neutral yeah. and, and it up, really up to him to yeah. kind of choose, choose his way forward in, in exactly. this life. 
Uh, I just went and did a panel with Gina Mange, who's like my favorite drag queen ever. Come on, anyone who comes up to me and says, oh my god, I'm such a big fan. Oh my god, can I get a picture with you? No. Are you a lactator? Are you a lactator? I don't care about my fans, I care about my lactators. I'm gonna find out who's lactating today. And we're writing a book about it and like, come and see us on tour. And I'm thinking, how has no one taken a, just one single step to be like, is there an ulterior motive to this? Could this possibly be something else? Like, could anyone be so far down that road that actually now they are so famous that they can't back out? Like, I think that we're so complex that there's not, you know, one straightforward way to do this. And I think that we need to kind of look at case by case. What is so odd to me is that we seem to have agreed as a society that shows featuring children can often be exploitative and so we need to look at them in a critical way. For example, toddlers and tiaras a lot of the time was criticised because it was inappropriate for children to be in makeup and be paraded around. And one of the biggest criticism was that, well, this is the parent trying to live vicariously through that child. This is a parent trying to become famous and so they are manipulating the child to do and say whatever the parent wants so that they can go on tour so that they can sell books and yet when you try and suggest this about trans children you get so much backlash because how dare you think that anyone would ever lie about this well I do think some people would I do think some parents would want to dress up the child and say the child is trans simply because they like the color pink and so through conversations there Rebecca came to tell us no this is definitely me I'm a girl I'm a girl in in my head and my heart I felt like I was a girl because I liked the color pink and I liked girls clothes and how they wore their hair and stuff. And now they have a new TV show. Now they have a new book. Even in some of these documentaries, you see that these children aren't fully comfortable being on camera and doing the things that they have been primed and taught to do. I tell everyone, if you're a boy or a girl. <laughs> okay. Phoenix would like you to know that she's a girl and she prefers she and her pronoun. Some of these children actually outright say, I don't want a book. I don't want a tour. This is a mistake. And yet no one seems to listen. We're going to Washington, D.C. We actually go and meet with our senators and representatives. After we do that, we go and sit and sell some of Avery's books for a little while. I just don't want to even have a book. I've done too much in this world. It's ruined my life enough. And now everyone in this world is going to know. And it's just going to make my life worse. A couple years ago, you wanted people to know. Yeah, I, now... I did, but now that was really stupid, silly mistake, and now I don't. Does your mom say you have to be LGBT? Um, no. no, I can choose what I want to be, but something. But. Go ahead, Lex. Go ahead. Keep talking. Say what you're saying. Um, my mom doesn't matter if I'm up, if I am gay or lesbian or any of that. She doesn't care. All she cares about is that I'm a part of it. And if I'm not a part of it, she'll try to convince me to uh, um, get, join it. Because I... What? Are you saying right now? Facts. That I would convince you to join what? The LGBTQIA. Yeah, for sure. And also, um, not only do I hear from detransitioners that they were sexually abused, um, they're, they were heavily involved in, in trans activism, it's, it's, it's also about them dealing with other mental health issues, then dysphoria that made them think that they had dysphoria. 
Um, I know borderline is, is a big is a big thing. I, I know it in my country a detransitioner who turned out not to be a trans woman but a man, a gay man with borderline. Um, and so so that can be confusing for these individuals um, because they are dealing with some stuff. They are sad and depressed mm -hmm. and they want to feel better, but they're going through the wrong type of treatment. Um, so that's that's where the professionals should really step in and, 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 you know, make the distinction. Yeah, and I think, honestly, I'm going to read you some of these things here from our NHS website because I think it's very... Um, NHS is our National Health Service, I'm sure you know. But um, So it's essentially just the healthcare here. But they have gone through some changes. And my overall point here that I wanted to touch on is that I honestly think that we have such a huge mental health crisis. And I've talked about this so many, so many times. I think that we are just pilling people up. I think we are just pre prescribing an anything and everything without almost any professional diagnosis and actual counseling or therapy. I think that um, it should be, you know, therapy first and intensive therapy for at least like a few months, like really digging into what's been going on and then possibly working out, okay, what's happening, seeking maybe a secondary, you know, opinion from a different psychiatrist and then being like, okay, this is your treatment options and I feel like this time it's kind of switched it's like okay we'll give you you know one or two sessions um or you know you have to come for three months but it's one session a month so essentially just getting three meetings with this therapist and then they can write you a letter of reference and then you're free to go on this kind of drug or this kind of drug. I want to give you guys a little bit more of a background and context in terms of this specific um, situation when it comes to gender dysphoria and therapy and really just let you know what I think the best treatment plan is and what I think the process of referral should be like and remember this is just my you know per, um, personal opinion so you don't have to agree with this but I just want to give you a little bit of a different perspective so usually you need around six meetings on average before a therapist can refer you to a gender clinic now I personally don't think that's enough the reason for that is because I believe that therapy should be the first approach and this is because of all the different comorbidities such as anxiety and stress disorders or depression or possibly any other for example psychiatric disorders or bipolar or any other illnesses that could present with gender dysphoria or could present with something that sounds like dysphoria but may not be and to me that means that the therapist should see you first diagnose you potentially or maybe diagnose you with gender dysphoria diagnose you with something else and then implement a treatment plan that actually starts in therapy and for any treatment plan that starts in therapy to be effective or even seem like it is effective you need at least six meetings some people even 14 and so it shouldn't just be, yep, here's a diagnosis and go off for your hormones. It should be, okay, here's a potential diagnosis. Let's have a look if we can help in therapy because let's remember that the biggest factor is suicide when it comes to young people with gender dysphoria and it has been shown that therapy decreases the risk of, of um, suicide and so it should be an intensive therapy treatment and then, if it is necessary, to go further onto hormones. And a medical transition. So in my opinion, this should be 6 to 14 meetings and then possibly a referral to a medical clinic. If this person's under 18, they should need more therapy and all factors should be looked at. Background, history, environment, family life, um, all of that kind of stuff. Now, now, the problem starts when you have therapists who are so incredibly reckless and irresponsible that they choose to either omit the referral process or lie about it. And here's one that has made 
news recently it has gone around the internet and people are very critical of this person because this is a therapist that on their site advertises that they are able to provide a letter for gender affirmation surgery and treatment without requiring the client to commit to ongoing work how as a therapist can you write a letter stating that your client needs a surgery without that client ever turning up to therapy or or turning up very infrequently i'm sure everyone can see the problem here. If we are not meeting on an ongoing basis and the sole purpose of your work is to provide you with one of these letters, I do not charge for that session. So you have a professional now that is telling you if you need a letter for gender affirmation surgery, you don't need to turn up to therapy, I will give it to you. And if that's the only reason you want to see me, I will also give it to you for free. Now you let me know if that sounds like adherence to guidelines, like that sounds like this person has this client's safety and health and mental health as their priority, because to me, this is incredibly irresponsible and actually harmful. And this is actually what leads to lawsuits, such as the NHS in Travistock in England, that was actually sued by families of transgender people and transgender children for criminal negligence because they were just giving out hormones left and right and pushing people into transition without actual proper diagnosis. This is how it happens. It is incredibly incredibly irresponsible. In my opinion, you need months of therapy, possible therapeutic treatment first, and then if a multidisciplinary team agrees that yes, the best option for you is to move forward with surgeries and medical transition, then that should be made available to you. And honestly, I think it is. I, I don't like. I don't know how... We look at it and go, amazing, yeah, there's no problem here. Like, I don't understand how, you know, we're, we're 23, 24, um, 24, 25, and we're like, this doesn't seem right. But then there's all these people who are obviously professionals in the 30s and the 40s, and they're like, no, this is great. Um, so I'm not sure how that's happening, and, I, and it almost feels a little bit like you're going crazy. Um, so when I was kind of, you know, having these thoughts, I'm thinking am I the problem? Like, it's, is it just me that I'm having these feelings of like, this doesn't seem right? Um, so I don't know if you can relate to that. Yeah, no, we're definitely not the only ones. I think a lot of professionals, a lot of therapists, they're too afraid to speak up and they can lose their jobs if they are critical. And this is about the trans thing. I don't know about um, the other uh, type of problem in, in that space. But, but with the trans thing, I, I know a lot of people don't speak up so they can keep their jobs. Um, and I, I get that, but at the same time, I think they have a responsibility to do the right thing. And if that means they're going to lose their jobs, like, th- so be it, because why would they feel comfortable prescribing all this, um, all these medical transitions to people who don't need it? Like, then find a new job. That's just my opinion, um, but, but yeah. And they are coming forward, actually. So here's some people who have worked at one of the pioneering gender clinics in the UK speaking out and saying that this was a well-known fact. There was a report done in the early 2000s that said that this clinic is not adhering to guidelines and that people are being pushed through transition and a lot of young people are being rushed through it without being given the adequate care and resources and these are people who are nurses doctors managers coming through and saying actually this is still a problem and we need to talk about it so people are coming out more they are talking about it and i'm glad that they are because they need to be prioritizing people's health access to healthcare, mental health and making sure that the therapies given 
it's not a political point it's not a political argument it's about people's health and doing what is the best for those people to lead happy healthy lives Morning. Thank you so much for joining us. And I have to say, I mean, all credit to you as one of the people, along with your wife, who I believe was a nurse at the Tavistock, for speaking out on this issue and bringing it public because there have been concerns about the clinic for a long time. And I know you held concerns for a long time and, and were trying to change things within the clinic, um, but were unable to do so. Well, my, my wife actually whistle blew in 2005. She works in the clinic. I was a manager of the trust. The, 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 the JIDS is only just one part of the overall trust. So I was a manager of the trust and um, and a medical report was done in 2006 by the medical director, David Taylor, who basically said this, this clinic is operating outside ordinary sort of medical governance for, for uh, various different, um, and, and, and given the, the fact that it's a, a, a treatment for vulnerable kids, yeah. And when they embark on the treatment, it's got sort of long-term implications. There was a lack of research, follow-up, and looking at the sort of downside of treatment. So that was a report which is done in 2006. I have to say it was largely ignored. Yeah. And then when I took over a voluntary position as, on the Board of Governors in 2018, the first thing that arrived on the desk was a report by a, a senior colleague of mine, David Bell, and a letter from 10 parents basically saying the same things that concern my wife and that have been written about by the clinical director in 2006. So nothing had changed over the past 15, 16 years. So this is um, an independent review uh, for gender identity services for kids in um, in the UK. And this is from last year. I'm not sure. I think this is a yearly report. So I'm guessing that maybe a new one's going to be coming out very soon. Um, but essentially, I just wanted to show you that they went back on what they were saying. But the first point says that the evidence of appropriate management of children and young people um, with gender dysphoria is inconclusive nationally and internationally. So they straight out went and said, we actually don't really know um, what we're doing and how to manage this and neither does anyone else. The long-term follow-up data in ch on children and young people treatment of all kinds, including full transition, is basically saying, you know, we, we don't really know. Um, and that's including uh, people who were trans for their entire life or, you know, they kind of went into adulthood and they kept the transition and also people who went through private services and also people who um, detransitioned. There's very limited research on puberty blockers, on physical side effects of puberty blockers in terms of the health, the cognitive and the sexual development, which I think a lot of the time is something that people don't focus on. It's like the long term effect and actually that there isn't that many studies. And I mean, to me, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, this study says otherwise, this study says otherwise. This is the National Health Service for the whole of the country. And they looked at that and they said, we cannot conclude what is going to happen we cannot tell you this we cannot tell you that this is all going to be amazing because we don't know and they said nationally and internationally so no one else knows either particularly important because of the fact we have such limited um knowledge that we have to demonstrate consent so it's so important because this is such a big you know we don't know that's why it's so hugely important that they have to consent and they have to understand it, which again brings into question, can children consent then? Can young teens consent if you are 14 or 15? You know, you have, you have uh, the, again, National Health Service saying, we don't know what's going to happen to you, 
by the way, neither does anyone else really. Um, and we already had to change our guidelines, which I'll read you in a minute what they were. I think this was two years ago and they had to change it because they were misleading. Um, so you really need to know what's going on. And to be honest, personally, I don't think a 14 or 15 or an even 17 year old is going to understand the long term effects of, hey, you can potentially not develop fully. You can potentially never have children if you go through with this. So if you are convinced that you are trans after, um, for example, you know a few um therapy sessions because again this isn't um very often something that's like diagnosed through months and months and months of therapy especially now i feel like people are trying to make it a quicker process um and so a lot of the time you know they're saying you really need to understand that and at 17 if, hell even at 21 22 i was like i don't want children oh my god i don't want kids and now i'm approaching 25 and i'm like well maybe maybe i do but if you know if you were in different shoes and you lost that choice because I think a lot of the time people don't also understand the difference between being able to make a choice and then having that choice taken away from you and you no longer can choose whether you want or not want to have a child so it's like you really need to be careful with decisions that are so incredibly life-altering especially when you have an an entire country being like "Hmm, we don't actually know yeah yeah children children cannot consent it's 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 not it's a no-brainer and Children cannot consent to their future sexual function and their future fertility when they're not even old enough to have sex or have children themselves. So I, I think it's it's um, I think this whole thing is unacceptable that we've done this to kids and now it's like oops oh we don't know if it's wrong. It's like what? I mean, children are now guinea pigs. Healthy children are guinea pigs and can potentially get their lives destroyed because of the adults, the professionals in, in all this being unprofessional. And um, yeah, it breaks my heart. Honestly. And again, just to clarify, because I know that a lot of people, again, on the internet will be like, <laughs> instead of hearing what we're saying, they'll you know hear what we're saying and they'd be like, this is what they mean. I'm in, su- in full support of people of age, 18 plus transitioning. And I think prior to that, this should be, resources available especially in countries that have free healthcare you should be able to go and seek therapy you should be able to seek therapy from multiple different therapists so that you have different perspectives um and that way you can make the most informed decision because i i think this should be group therapy with your family or one-to-one whatever that may be but intensive therapy to really work out what's going on because as you said there might be different factors involved maybe it's not gender dysphoria maybe it's something else you know and so i think that that's really the key this is a a bbc radio um article what they were talking about recording but what they were talking about is that the nhs had to change what they were saying on the website. So beforehand, they were saying uh, that the uh, puberty blockers are fully reversible and treatment can be stopped at any time. They said that now they're saying that little is known about the long-term effects of hormones and they had to say that basically we aren't sure. Almost 100% of children on puberty blockers go on to receive uh, cross-sex hormones and they know nothing about the long-term neurological effects and that for every single study... Um, that says that this is reversible. There's another study that says it may not be. Um, And basically they were talking about how 
during puberty your brain and your white matter development and things like that it's such a critical time that when we block hormones that window can be greatly affected because you have that one window that's you know everything's happening and we are blocking that and we're saying wait a little bit longer so then the brain starts developing obviously into adulthood and it's missed that critical window of development and we don't really know what's happening and this is very important they had to actually take away this this emotional blackmail almost of suicide so you hear a lot of people say that parents are being told if you don't transition your child now they will be at risk of suicide and this is exactly what the nhs was saying um and now that they took that off and they basically said if you have these feelings you need to speak to someone um you need to speak to you know a professional not you need to transition your child because they can kill themselves. The signs that your child might be trans, and it said that the first signs of gender dysphoria could be that the child can refuse to wear typical boys or girls clothes or dislike taking part in boys or girls games and activities, which is horrific to me for 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 some you know for the healthcare system to be like if your child doesn't want to participate in football. It's not because they might not like football or maybe a tomboy or a feminine a feminine boy. It is it might be because they're trans. Yeah, as you said, it's it's the biggest type of emotional blackmail I think I've ever seen. And it's not true. And even if it was true, maybe it's because a child is really going through it, has a lot of other mental health issues, and we need to, to be aware of that. We need to be careful. Um, the solution is not to stop their development and make them sterile and um, uh, destroy their sexu- future sexual function and destroy their bone health. Like, the solution is to, to be there for the child and, and, you know, love them and and be tolerant and say, you can, you can be whoever you want to be. Um, and, and a child will not have that sort of freedom to be whoever they want to be if we just transition them to the opposite sex. That takes away a lot of their freedom, actually. Um, and they can't consent to it, so that's just messed up, in my opinion. Um, so, so yeah, I, I truly believe that we should let kids be, and they should have the freedom to be whoever they want to be, um, even though my opposition claims to also believe in that. They advocate for stuff that goes against the, the narrative, so... I mean, I think, like, oh, well... I- I think I speak for both of us, but especially in my case, we're not saying don't transition them. We're saying just wait a little bit until they can become an adult that can actually take the decision seriously. Because, and and again, I don't understand how, you know, when we're talking about tattoos, piercings, driving, all of that kind of stuff. Or even if you had, you know, someone who said, I don't ever want to have children. Like you have adult women saying, I don't ever want to have children. I want a hysterectomy. And you have doctors telling them you might change your mind. You never know. Wait, you don't know. And so that's like a huge push. But when it comes to someone who is, you know, 17 and they're saying, actually, yeah, I want to do this. And they've been, you know, on hormones for a long time or they're freshly 18. They're like, yep, let's go. No one bats an eye and I feel like that's not right. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of the hysterectomy part, because I know women who um, have had... I know a woman who has... Um, what's it called? Um, endometriosis. And she, ha- she, she, she's been through it. Like, she had a lot of pain. And she wanted a hysterectomy. But it was hard for her to, to, to have a- access to the surgery because they're like, are you sure? And she already had three kids. 
So women who already had children have a hard time um, getting access to the hysterectomy. I told my doctor, I want to get a hysterectomy. And then I got it. And I'm not saying that I should be like interrogated for <laughs> like years or years, but, but, um, but still, I mean, I made a joke to my friend and, and I said, well, you can just identify as trans. It will be a lot easier. And then she said, where's the lie? <laughs> so That's it's really crazy. messed up. It's, it's dangerous for, for several reasons. It's dangerous because we see in prisons how men are identifying as women and then they get sent to the women's prison, even if they're uh, in jail because they rape women. Um, it's also dangerous for individuals who think that they're trans, but they're not, and then they just blindly receive such a, a, a serious treatment that's irreversible I feel really bad for them, so that's why I think it's dangerous uh, in that way. Um, it, it is stupid and not beneficial at all. And I, I, I've noticed how the whole trans thing is on, on a pedestal in the, the medical space and the therapist space. And I'm tired of it because I want to be an equal as a trans person. And I know that other rational transsexuals feel the same way. Um, and, and that's what the, the trans and the LGBT communities uh, claiming to to fight for equality, but it's not equality if we have more rights or like if we're if we receive special treatment, and that special treatment is harmful because then the wrong people get the wrong type of of transition and uh, treatment. I mean, and and it's 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 a whole mess. It's a whole mess. It's a whole. It's chaotic. I think it opens the door to a whole chaotic environment and. Again, I think that people also, in the name of inclusivity, they open, you know, their arms so far that they just want to accept everyone that actually you don't realize what kinds of risk you put in your own community at. Like, you, you don't realize that this is going to essentially, like, shoot you in the knee. Because if you say anyone can identify as this, anyone can say that they are and they are. The example I'm thinking of, I don't know if you've seen it, it was on... I think she's called Amala, um, and she's on You. She's, um, like, a social commentary... And she had this debate with um, Book Angel and she had a debate or like a conversation with Blossom. Um, have you seen it by any chance? Yeah, I've seen some of it. It's unwatchable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but what was very interesting to me was the entanglement that Blossom got herself in. So Blossom is a trans woman, I believe. Um, and she basically said, you know, anyone can identify as anything. We need to respect people's like pronouns and IDs and stuff like that. And then she was talking about um, someone who I believe like killed people. And then before they went to trial, they actually said, I identify as non-binary. And she said, well, that was clearly just to take advantage of our community. They're not really non-binary. And Book Angel was like, well, hang on a second. According to you, you can't question that. Like according to your own standards, guidelines and rules in your community, if that person, no matter how terrible of a person they are, you can't question their gender identity. And this is what self-ID does. Right. Well, well they're, they're, I, what I see as, as a problem, to be honest with you, is the self ID situation. Because mm -hmm. now anyone can self ID as trans, and doesn't mean you have Correct. to do anything. Yeah. So, so again, I'm gonna go back to that word nuance. It's so important in this conversation. Again, the trans experience is not a monolith, and I think any person that wants to cause harm to other individuals and then blame and deem themselves as trans just to cover their ass, almost like the shooter at Club Q, 
who all of a sudden wanted to use they them pronouns. But wait a minute, that's not and, fair. And no, How do you no, know that person no, isn't no, non-binary? No, no. Hold on, hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. Um, because the reality of it is, first of all, he was only 16. When he was 16, he petitioned a court in Texas to change his name. Okay, number one. Two, he was arrested in June 2021 for a bomb threat, right? And then here you are going into this club and you're shooting up innocent people, right? And you got to live, cause right, cause you're white. Clearly, mm-hmm. you got to live. Let, 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 let me write that. that. Let me write that up. You you got to live because you're white. Because if it was a person of color or anybody that in, that did that heinous um, crime, they'll be shot and killed to death. So first of all, the fact that he's even alive speaks volumes. After killing five people and injuring over twenty five other people. Okay, so but wait. I just I just really need to talk about the non binary thing. Yes, that is not fair. This. What I hear from our community is anybody can be non-binary, whether they choose to do it today, tomorrow, whatever. That person. No, 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 no. Yes, you do. Oh, yes, you, know, you, you do. do not in this do community, that. you do. So you do not. not. <laughs> you do not. There can I disagree. Be, there are good and bad non-binary people. There are good That's and right. bad trans people. That's right. There are good and bad black people. Good and Correct. bad white That's people. That's right. Him going and committing a crime like that does That's not right. negate the identity of being non-binary. That's right. You don't get to use the identity. How do you know he's using? The club. It. He, how he do you know that is actually no, being listen, very transphobic right now? Yeah, it is. Nice dodge, though. No, no, nice no. Dodge, that's hypocrisy nice at its finest. Nice that's hypocrisy. Nice dodge, Your community literally says if someone chooses to be so non-binary, they, all of a sudden he's a shooter and now he's not, not non-binary. I, did not I disagree with you. What he said was that first of all, until when he was arrested and the charges came out, the reason why he's trying to use non-binary is because he's trying to get out of those hate crimes. How do you know that? Because the thing is. If it looks like, oh, if I identify as non-binary, but I how do you know that? Crime charges. That's your opinion. Um, this is my opinion. It's not the facts. Of it is, but how do you know that? Because the fact how is, do you know okay, that? I'll tell you. The fact is, his attorney said he identifies as non-binary. That's a fact. After. Doesn't matter. After. It's a fact. After honey. After what? After. After the fact what? Him being charged it doesn't matter that's it his got, choice it, no, but sorry what you're not gonna do is you, that's a double standard that's a double standard that's a double standard here's the issue yes i am so, I, i'm not villainizing anybody i'm ex- respecting their choice of identity right okay. that's what you all say respect people's choices because now they don't need to prove that they have been you know diagnosed they don't need to prove that they have been receiving treatment they don't need to prove well anything really name change is nothing because they can just say actually you know what i'm a woman and there's a chance that i can get off with a lesser sentence and that is what you know and clearly blossom was being rational here and said hang on a minute that's a little bit suspicious that's weird that's coincidental but because you've been pushing the self-id for so long that actually goes against your own you know like community what they've been saying they've been saying no if they say that then you have to believe it so you can't question it and i think that we should be able to question it i think that if something you know walks like a duck quacks like a duck then it's okay to ask a question is it a duck yeah and i i think in in that case with the colorado shooting it's like it's not a serious ideology the non-binary trans ideology it's not a serious one because as as soon as something gets really serious they don't believe their own opinions anymore um and and if if self-id is perfectly fine if anyone can if anyone can be whoever they want to be with no proof then why are they saying that these detransitioners were never trans it's like 
So now we can gatekeep. We can gatekeep who's non-binary as long as it's very serious and someone is really evil um, and or detransitioners who regret their surgeries. It's like, now you can gatekeep, but you're so against when I'm doing it. So, so they don't believe... I don't think they believe in their own rhetoric because as long as as soon as it gets serious serious they're like nah that's not what we mean I think it's one of those where it's such a convoluted logic that it's very hard to defend on the other side because then you say well okay if that's your logic then what about this and then you know you kind of start sweating and you go oh well actually I never thought of that um and uh, this is it, it, it kind of makes me understand why they don't want people asking questions why it's easy to just attack people and just tell them to you know shut up or you'll lose your job or we'll contact your family or whatever that may be because I mean look at again as you said um, Blair White how many times you've had you know videos of her being threatened and you know people saying that they're going to come after her and they're going to kill her and stuff like that and it's because if you question it for too long if you follow up for too long there's going to be holes because unfortunately it does come from a lot of young people and a lot of young people just don't have, you know, that. And it's okay to be sometimes wrong. It's okay to be like, actually, you know what? I haven't thought of that. Um, I'm not going to just blindly support something that I don't believe in or that I can't defend. On the same lines, you know, when we're talking about um, the the trans medicalists, that apparently that's like a really bad thing to be now as well. But I think it actually benefits you guys. Like, I think if you can show that there is a scientific basis, you can show actually, yes, look, this is, you know, we use science to justify so many things, to justify so many true things. If you can show that this condition is gender dysphoria and the treatment for this condition is to transition and live your best, healthiest life, why would that be such an evil, horrible thing to believe in? Right. Um, for so many years, activists has, um, have been using the term born this way. So what happened? Like, we, we don't use that anymore because now gender and also I've heard sexuality is and sexual orientation is socially influenced. Well, if that's true, then you can socially influence me to not being trans anymore, to not being gay anymore, whatever. And that's exactly what the far right and the, the very religious people have been saying all along. So it's weird that we see these um, LGBT activists agreeing with their enemies. But they are, because it, it has gone too far. It's just so crazy. And again, it's so refreshing to be able to just have a discussion. I knew I was going to get such backlash for saying, actually, I don't believe in this ideology of like transitioning children. I, that's not what I was taught. I like don't believe in a lot of these things. And I said, you know, a lot of these things I personally cannot um, defend. If someone was to, you know, sit down with me and ask me and I was supposed to defend these kinds of ideas, I can't do it. And so I was like, I can't. I can't be on that side then, like, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, it's because you know how hostile the environment is. You know how, you know, they're kind of, they're really going to come after you. Did you, have you had that as well? Have you had that from your community? And I know you've talked about your Facebook group in your hometown as well. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm very hated here in, in, in Denmark, but also, you know, in the US. Um, the only threats I've received... Um, came from from the the community, from from the the from the far uh, far left community. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I've received some threats on TikTok and on uh, Twitter from a famous non-binary YouTuber, um, and the death threat got over a hundred likes, which was really disappointing. 
And um, Twitter, of course, did not remove the, the comment before she deleted uh, it herself. Um, and I'm kicked out of almost every single trans group here in Denmark. And uh, that's a little bit annoying because I want to, I want to, you know, be on, I, I want to be the fly on the wall and kind of, you know, looking down and see what's happening. But now it's hard. <laughs> I want to be inspired. You want to like go undercover? <laughs> oh, no, I can't. I can't. Um, yeah, that's, that's going to be hard. Um, so, so they really hate me. I've also been burned on a, on a bonfire, like a picture of me, uh, in, in Denmark, which was really funny. Um, along with some, some right-wing politicians. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the people who burned me on a bonfire, they're from a, a, a socialist, uh, or youth organization. And, uh, it's because we have a tradition in Denmark. Uh, it's a long story, but we're burn witches. Or it's like it's a holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look it up. Oh, we've got that in Poland too. Oh yeah, we've got that. We've got a Majanna that we burn and then we drown her for good crops and a good year. Yeah, right. so we do that as well. So, so yeah. they they made a, a TikTok where they burned me and and two right wing politicians, and then they said today we're burning uh, burning the real witches. <laughs> it's like you're burning a transsexual. Oh my god. Like, you really don't see the hypocrisy in that. <laughs> Do you know what? Now I kind of, I'm kind of jealous now. Like I would have like framed that up somewhere. <laughs> you know that those people are so afraid of just what you're saying, because you're not out there, you know, burning buildings. You're not out there, you know, throwing like Molotov cocktails or like on anything. You're not like out there protesting, doing some real harm. You're just saying what you think in a country that tells you you have free speech and freedom of expression and tell us if you don't like politicians, tell us if you don't like ideologies. And then this is the response to that. And it is so out of proportion, dare I say, because I think that no one deserves to literally, you know, the the image of them to be burned. And I hope that these people are so incredibly cringed out and ashamed of themselves now because if I was you know an adult and I thought oh my god I can't believe I participated in that I would be so embarrassed yeah yeah and and I would I would say it's it's like it's so complicated because this is not a political thing at all I I I started my YouTube channel and my Instagram as a political page and a political channel and um it's no secret that I'm I vote right uh, right wing. Um, but then, uh, you know, I noticed how this is not about left, left and right. This is about psychology. It's about culture, uh, morality. And a lot of people from the left agree with us, agree with me. Um, so it's like, you can call these woke activists the far left, but I know I know people from my country who are like literally communist who agree with me and you will consider that far left to be a communist. So, I mean, it's not political when you think about it. With the kids transitioning thing, I mean, it's not a a right wing position to have to say children cannot consent, period. That's that's a fact. That's Mm -hmm. not a a right wing conspiracy theory or anything. Um, And I have a lot of respect for the left left-leaning people who agree with me and are outspoken um even though they're being accused of all sorts of things i think it's really cool that they they speak their minds and um 
yeah, I, I wish more people would do that. I think so too. And I think if we, you know, really, because I'm such a huge fan of just talking. I'm a huge fan of just having discussions and asking questions. And it feels like recently it's really frowned upon to just question something, you know? Um, do you feel like that as well? Has that been kind of prevalent in your life? Oh, I just, I just speak out anyways. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I don't care anymore. I, I, I don't care anymore and it's such a uh liberating feeling um so when something means a lot to me i am not hesitant speaking up about it i'm you know a someone who hasn't really been exposed from a very young age to these kinds of communities and all the different spectrum of things and such so what what do you think about the people who are um non-binary right so that's neither a man nor a woman somewhere in between are changing depending on kind of how they feel because personally i feel that a lot of people um i personally have never met a non-binary person and that's not to say that the only people who i think exist are the people who i've met personally but i've never had that extensive experience of talking to someone so i can really understand them and i'm really working on trying to get someone to come on the podcast and talk about their experience but i feel like just as with the trans um gender dysphoria diagnosis you can sometimes get things kind of commingled in there that are making it a little bit more confusing i think that a lot of people who are claiming to be non-binary are really conflicting personality with gender because i see a lot of people say feminine energy masculine energy and i'm thinking that's your expression of yourself that doesn't necessarily mean you don't fit into a binary what, what do you think about that no one really is perfectly masculine or perfectly feminine not at least in the Western society, that's kind of hard actually. Um, so, so I think it's, I agree with you, they conflict a gender expression with gender itself, and it's two different things. Um, so so I, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's also an intolerant identity because, because a lot of these non-binary people are young females and they are masculine, they have short hair, uh, and if that makes them not a woman anymore, I think it's intolerant and sexist. Yet they claim that it's a tolerant and open, what's it called, like inclusive identity, which I, I don't agree with. I f found interesting also was that the people, it almost seems like we're going full circle. So I feel like back in the day, you could have people performing on stage. And I mean, these people were so feminine and these people were so, you know, kind of people would really kind of like what Harry Styles is doing now where people are like, oh my God, is he gay? Is he not gay? But back in the day, no one cared. And they could have like, I mean, look at like Prince and things like that. They, they were, they did not care. I mean, Glamrock, we just recently went to see The Darkness and no one cared whether this man was straight, no one cares if this man is gay, no one cares if he's non-binary, whatever. This is a 40-year-old man with a cleavage down to here, with huge, you know, ABBA-style kind of clothes. And it is just, and no one cares because everyone just wants him to be a human. And it then seems like we went from that to saying, like, we don't want labels, to now having every single thing down to your almost personality labeled as something and that feeding into either a gender or something else and then we went from you know just because like boys can like pink too boys can do that and now we're in well if your boy likes pink because only girls like pink he might be trans and i'm like whoa whoa i thought we were fighting the gender stereotypes not using them to transition people yeah and also the reason why i think it's intolerant is because 
when you look at countries like Iran, who, if 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 a gay man expresses his femininity and if if people know that he's gay, he he's forced to transition into a woman, and I'm sorry, but it's kind of the same mindset. I I mean, not the force, but but you know what I mean. It's kind of the same mindset we have in the in the West today. That like, oh, if your boy likes pink, he's a girl. Like, no, he's still a boy. <laughs> so, so what I like to say is, yeah, the the thing I like to say is, there's a million ways to be a man and a woman, but there are not a million genders. So you can be whoever you want to be as a boy and a and a girl, but there are not a million genders. Do you know what? I honestly think that this is such a good thought to finish on because I don't want to keep you for too too long. Thank you so much for for. Appearing, um, I will link all of your details down below, and I hope that everyone really, really enjoyed it because I really, really did as well. Twice a sinner, half a sinner.